May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Please be seated. One day, time will come to an end and God will judge the world. That is the message of Jesus' sermon in the 24th and 25th chapters of the Gospel according to St. Matthew, where we've kind of lived for the last couple of weeks. If you were to summarize Jesus' sermon, it would say just in two words, be ready. That's the message he's been trying to get over and over again. He, he, get, he has given us three parables. The parable of the ten virgins, which was be ready by staying alert. Um, the parable of the talents, uh, be ready by betting everything on the kingdom. And then this parable today, the parable of the coming judgment, which has a similar be ready message. It's a message about constant diligence. And he's thoroughly reinforcing it. Listen to this uh, in, in chapter 24, where he begins this whole uh, sermon, this whole um, uh, uh, monologue that he's given. He says, therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour which you do not expect. It's really a quite fantastic sermon if you look at this thing in its whole. It's vivid in its detail. It's, um, it's uh, you know, thoroughly engaging with rhetorical flourishes and imagery. Uh, just one problem <laughs> with this. If anybody would, would be so bold as to critique Jesus' sermon, I'm going to do it here for just a moment. Just one problem with it, Okay. Well, there's more than one problem, but the big problem is it probably would not pass or receive a passing grade in many graduate seminaries of religion today. They would be like um, a serious markdown. Uh, uh, you know, I'm not so sure, Jesus, this is the sermon you want to preach. There's way too much gloom and doom here. I mean, did you catch some of that? It was pretty hardcore, you know. This is hellfire and brimstone. This is... um. This is judgment, and that's really not what we're into these days. You know, we, we're much more of a positivist religion. Uh, we, we're about self-realization and self-esteem and, and um, stress relief and, and these sorts of things. You know, this is, this, is kind of, this is kind of scary stuff. I'm not sure you really want to do that. We, we really jettisoned the whole Turner Burn motif many years ago, and so we think that perhaps it would be good for you. I could just hear the the professorial critique, to, um, to kind of come along with this uh, more nuanced, culturally sensitive approach. Very 1956, Jesus, in this sermon right here. I'm not so sure this is really what you want to preach today in the 21st century. I hope you're catching the sarcasm because I'm laying it on pretty thick, okay? But anyway, I can, I can hear that this might be happening. Uh, but there's also one other problem. Even if you set aside the culturally nuanced approach, if you had another issue that you have to go through, I'm not so sure Jesus is quite in step with Reformed Orthodoxy. Did anybody catch this whole sermon? Who, is the, who are the righteous persons and who are the unrighteous persons? Well, you heard it. The righteous are the ones who do the right things. And the unrighteous are the ones who do not do these right things. It's about, um, I was going to say it's about what you do do, but, you know, that's just, it would send you right into middle school, as I obviously pointed out right there. The ones who do the good deeds, 
are the righteous. They're the ones who are going to be welcomed into heaven's playground. They're the ones who are going to enjoy eternal life. The ones who fail to do these things, they're the ones who are going to be judged. Nothing is said about what a person thinks, only about what they do. And again, this is contrary to everything that we have been taught since well, since Martin Luther, right? This is, the, this is actually contrary to all of Protestant Reformed thinking. I, I could hear the professorial critique of the sermon in, in a seminary. It might go something like this. Jesus, have you ever read Paul? You, know, you should look at Romans sometimes. That's a fantastic letter, you know. You, what is this? And so in so many ways, this sermon seems to, um, well, this seems to contradict a lot of what would be acceptable in today's graduate studies. And, um, and I wonder, you know, if somebody might say, Jesus, it's so sad because you had such great potential. <laughs> you know, you really could have come through. And, and here you just sort of have dropped the ball. A buddy of mine wrote a, a book um, some years ago entitled, They Preached It Straight, I Heard It Crooked. Um, I don't know that the problem is that we heard it crooked. I think we heard it straight, and that is the problem. That's where it gets kind of, oh, you know, a little difficult. You heard the lesson, didn't you? Feed the hungry. Clothe the naked. Visit the homeless and the prisoners. Take care of those who are in need. If you do, you're saved. Systemic neglect... Even just simple, um, you know, being oblivious to the needs of people has one condemned. And so it seems to say that it is all about our actions, what we do in this world. Unless, unless I've kind of held a piece back. (laughs) Unless I haven't told you everything uh, about this. So let's go back and just look at the text a little bit carefully for a moment. The first thing is that you notice that this is a future vision, right? This is all about a future tense reality. Did you notice all the future tense verbs taking you back into grammar school? 20, uh, verse 31 of chapter 25, and if you look at it in the lesson. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon the throne of his glory. Verse 32, all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate people Uh, from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Verse 33, And he will put the sheep in his right hand and the goats in his left. Then the king will say. You hear these future tense verbs over and over again, right? And so you know that Jesus is talking about an event in his future. Now it could be very close. It could be very far off. You know, we use future tense verbs all the time, right? Um, When I'm done with this sermon, I will go to the store and Buy some groceries. <laughs> I won't, but I could say that, right? Uh, or you, when, uh, when I'm old enough to retire, I will collect Social Security. <laughs> yeah, right. Like that's never going to be around. You know, whatever. You know, we have these future tense uh, expectations. And this is what Jesus says. When I will. Then I will. When I return, I will gather and then I will judge. And the second thing is, is that this judgment is going to be final. There are no endless appeals. This judge is not going to hear. This judge knows everything. And so his judgment is going to be absolute and final. The righteous enter the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. This is your inheritance. And to the condemned judgment, he will say to those at his left hand, you are accursed, depart from me into into eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And then in verse 45, he will say to them, truly I tell you, just as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. 
And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So the question is, how does one become a sheep or a goat? How do you do that? How is it, is it simply about doing Good deeds. I don't think so. And here's why. Here's the thing that I think is the linchpin, the the key to sort of understanding what Jesus is saying in this text. Did you notice that when the righteous were told that they were righteous, that they were surprised? They were genuinely surprised to find out that they had been doing good things. How do they say it? When? When did we see you naked? Or when did we see you hungry and feed you? When were you uh, homeless and we took you? When were you a prisoner and we visited you? When did these things happen? They have no recollection of having done these deeds. And so it is with the unrighteous. They answer the exact same way. When did we see you naked and did not clothe you? When did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or in prison and did not take care of you? Righteousness... It's not about those who seek to do good. It's those who just do it. They're doing it without any awareness that they're actually doing it. And the unrighteous the same. See, here's the thing. Our nature is contrary to doing good. It really is. We are born into this world as goats. I'm afraid to tell you. We all are. I have this great little cartoon where... Um, where you see from the minister's point of view, so it's sort of like a, uh, a congregation, and, um, and it says something like, you know, Pastor Farkle looks at his congregation differently, and you see everybody is a, a sheep or goat, and there's like this, you know, there's this cute couple up front, and they're two, you know, two woolly sheep, and then they're two little kids, or two little goats, you know, which always felt like they're mine, you know, like that's what my... We're all born into this world as goats. All of us. We are all born with a nature contrary to God. We are all born with a nature that is so easy to be selfish and so difficult to be selfless. We take care of ourselves very well. We, we do it instinctively. We need to be transformed into being people who act righteously and who live righteously. We need to be the kind of people who are surprised by the kind of goodness that we do discover in ourselves. When did we do this? When did this happen? So the question really isn't, you know, how do we become part of those who are welcomed into the kingdom? The question is, is how do we transform from being goats to being sheep? How do we go from being unrighteous by nature to being righteous? How do we go from being morally corrupt and bankrupt to morally good and virtuous? One way. By the grace of God. The sheer grace of God. That He would do in us what we cannot do to ourselves, that he would transform us into some other kind of human being, a human being that does goodness without even realizing it, without even recognizing it. Now, let me remind you of something. Grace is not mercy. We often use grace, mean it like mercy, you know, like the the librarian gives you three days grace on your your late fee on your book or something like that. That, that. That's really not grace. That's mercy. Mercy is when someone does not get what they do deserve, right? They do not get what they do deserve. It's when the judge releases a person even though they don't deserve to be released. You know, the, the, the punishment has been suspended. That is mercy. Grace is when you get something that you do not deserve. Grace is a gift. It's when you receive a gift. It, you know, 
you've probably never received a, maybe you have, you probably never received a birthday present and you opened it up and you said, oh, that's so merciful. You know, um, if you did, tell me about it because that's a story right there. But usually you say, thank you. You know, gratitude comes out from that gift. That, that grace that comes to you comes in a response of gratitude. What can turn a goat into a sheep? Nothing but grace. It doesn't mean, however, that there's nothing we can do. It doesn't stand to reason that because we cannot transform ourselves, that we should do nothing. Because God has given us, in His mercy, He has given us the, the wherewithal to put ourselves into the path of grace. He has told us how grace comes to us. One way. We can read Scripture not so that we can, oh, here's what I need to do, now I'm going to go do it. But so that it can transform our thoughts. And as Scripture transforms our thoughts, it transforms our lives. Our ethics become different. We live as different kind of people. We can pray. Both privately, together as a congregation, together as a group of friends. You can pray and seek the Lord. Oh, that you could know Him. And you know what happens? As we begin to know God in prayer, we begin to become transformed into His image. More and more we live like Him in this world. We can meet together for mutual kind of edification in, in friendship. Um, uh, the, the old Methodists used to call it conferencing together. You can, there's a way you can get together and, and have mutual accountability and friendship. We have this in a church. We have women's Bible studies and men's Bible studies that do exactly this. Study, prayer, mutual accountability. And we can come here. This place where we come and we do all of these things. We, we, have, we have conversation and, and fellowship out there after the service. We, we come here for prayer and scripture and, and, and sermon to hear the word of God become alive to us again in a fresh way. And, and then we can come to this altar where we kneel and place out empty hands. We have nothing to bring. We come only to receive. I never, I try not to use the language I probably do. I try not to, that I take communion because I don't take it. I receive it. You know, it, it, it's not something that, that we grab, but it's something that we receive. That, and, in, and in this historic Eucharistic uh, theology, that we come and receive not just something that reminds us of Jesus, we come and receive His very body and blood. He enters into our being. We consume Him. And it goes into our being just and transforms us, makes us into different kind of human beings. Qualitatively righteous, not because we have done something to deserve it, but because we have been transformed by the grace of God. In, um, in 1984, there was this movie, um, The Natural, starring Robert Redford. Oh, it's a great film. Oh, it's fantastic. You know, he's a, it's, it's set in, the, I think, 40s or 50s or something like that. Um, and... and Robert Redford plays this, uh, this character, Roy Hobbs, who is a baseball player. And he's a young baseball player, and something, you know, there's, a, there's a jealous ploy that derails his career. And even though he was going to be famous, he's, you know, he kind of thinks he misses his chance. But at the age of 35, he, it's some, some events happen to get him back into the game, and he's a rookie at 35, which at that time would have been you know, a, a quite, uh, quite uh, advanced rookie, and still even today. But... You know, Roy had this, he has this skill and integrity, he's got this courage, this, this great film about overcoming obstacles and all this sort of, but it all hinges on one thing. 
Roy Hobbs is the natural. He can play ball at 35 because he is a natural. He has such innate ability to play baseball that nothing can really can really set him up. He's he's a natural. He's got it all just from birth. We are not natural. <laughs> That's not our story. If you think it's your story, you're wrong. You might be better than some, but, but the, the quality of spirit that we have is turned against God from our earliest days. You know it. Any of you who have been around a small child knows it. The first word they learn is, you know, mom or dad. You know, the second's the other. The third word is mine, right? And then no. Maybe they learn that word before they even learn mom or dad. No. This inward rebellious spirit. We are not naturals. What we need is the grace of God to transform us so that we might become his children, bearing his image in this world and in eternity. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit.